Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got some interesting stuff to talk about this week and some great guests going to be joining me a little bit later in the hour. Uh, I'm going to have Mike Chesahofsky back from CBRE. We're going to be talking about what it is like to be a commercial real estate agent. And is it all based on just commissions or can you actually get a salary when you are a realtor? You don't, you don't want to miss that if you're considering this as a career or a career change. And then later on in the hour, I've got Harry Stinson joining me. You might not know the name, but you've definitely seen some of his developments over the years. And he's an innovator, developer, and we're going to be talking a lot about Hamilton and what is going on in that city. So make sure you stay tuned for the entire show. If you do miss any part of it, remember, you can go to the SoundCloud account uh, here at News Talk 1010. Just go to Simply Real Estate, click on it, and you're going to be able to catch some of my past shows. Um, just want to congratulate everybody. That was part of our new release here at The Simple Investor. That's right. The long-awaited Welland has now been released. And uh, I think there may be just a couple of units left. So for those of my investors out there that uh, if you haven't jumped on it, you don't want to miss out on something like this. And uh, some exciting stuff. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com and you'll find out more. But uh, this week, i got to tell you, um, if the government was in the proverbial outhouse this week, I would definitely say they needed two or three of them because there was a lot of changes that were going on. Uh, I was on earlier in the week with Jerry Agar and uh, always in the morning and it's great. Uh, remember, you can catch him at between 9 and 12 right here. And uh, one of the things that he wanted to talk to me about, of course, was the new condominium rules and regulations that are out there for people to understand. So there is a new condominium authority of Ontario that has popped up and they want to make sure that the people that are governing the condominiums have a better education. And I'm all for more education. I think it's very important, you know, make sure everybody knows the rules and the regulations and hey, why not crack open your wallet at the same time? That's right. If you live in a condominium, you are now going to have the property management company have to pay a dollar a month for your unit. Now, doesn't sound like a whole lot, does it? Well, in Ontario alone, they're probably going to be pulling in $10 million worth of fees right out of the gate. And then on top of that, all the management companies have to pay for licensings and edu education and everything that is going to be required. It's a nice little probably $20 million a year cash grab. You know, a few people weighed in on this topic, said, hey, it's a great idea. You know, at the end of the day, I believe it is, but why do they have to stick such a price tag on it and make everybody pay for it? Again, what do we have? A greedy government. And everybody knows that I have my take on this. And speaking of take on this, um, one of the comments that uh, when I was on with Jerry, it was, uh, it was interesting because we were actually talking about the need for properties. You know, we know that there's an inventory problem. I get it. A lot of people are saying the market was racing because of foreign buyers. You know, the numbers aren't really supporting that. We still have a lack of inventory. So when everything pops on the market, it sells pretty quickly. Now, one of the things, though, was the suggestion that perhaps the government starts to build again. Well, I don't know if you remember last year the story about the park that needed the staircase and... You know, there was this elderly gentleman came along and I basically think for $1,000 he turned around and, and, and made a staircase for this park because people were slipping down the hill. And of course, it wasn't built to code and, and I think it was a really good example of, you know, hey, listen, it's great that somebody actually stepped in, but you have to be careful and you have to make sure it's built properly. But I, the real argument was, is that the government had provided a original quote almost up to $100,000 to do this staircase. And 
of course, nobody wanted to spend $100,000 for a staircase. This gentleman did it for 1000 Why can't the government do it? Well, again, after, you know, careful consideration, all of a sudden the price dropped. I think the end result was somewhere around eighteen to $20,000. Now, if we put into perspective that somebody would like to have a building built, and let's say right now the average builder is probably constructing somewhere around that three to $400 a square foot range. Can you imagine what the government would charge to build a building? Yep, $1,000 a square foot to build it. And then what? Are they going to sell it to the would-be buyers for 500 So we're going to take a $500 a square foot loss on every single unit? Kumbaya. You know what? I think that people have to realize that the government is not our answer. What they have to do is stop being so strict on the builders, allow them to develop, allow them to push the boundaries, allow them to go up, allow them to go out and start building more inventory. We can stop having a problem when we talk about inventory and the prices going up. You're not going to solve it by crashing the market. And speaking of crashing the market, I want to talk to you about some new rulings that came through this, this past week in the Vancouver, British Columbia area. Two headlines that everybody should be aware of is BC measures to crack down on speculation could drive foreign buyers to Ontario. BC, a year and a half ago, introduced the foreign buyer tax, and that was 15%. Of course, last year, the Wynn government decided to follow suit. After all, if you can do it in BC, you can do it in Ontario. Well, BC has decided to take it one step further. They realized that the foreign buyers were absorbing this tax, saying, no, it's still worth it to buy Canadian real estate. What are they doing? They're taking it to 20%. And the problem is they keep targeting and using the expression, we're trying to curb the Chinese from buying real estate. The problem is, is that what about the Canadians that are actually buying real estate here and you're trying to control a market? So. It doesn't have a, 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 in, a, really an influence on the Canadian buyers, but what it does do is it turns around and forces a market to be more of a cycle. It, it, it could turn around and have a roller coaster effect that people, if all of a sudden we start freezing out, just as BC did a year and a half ago, their market dropped when they introduced this. What if it happens again? The people that get affected are the domestic people in the marketplace. Now, on top of that, when we take a look at the idea of foreign buyers, a lot of these people put the properties up for rent. Look, I think that they should be mandated to put it up. If you're a foreign buyer, yes, you can buy in, in, in our country, but you know what? You're mandated to rent it if you don't live in it. Great. Guess what that does? It helps our vacancy rate. In other words, don't leave it vacant. You've got to have it occupied. No problem. Great. Great idea. Now we can have more rental properties in the marketplace and we can start worrying about our vacancy rate. But they decided to push this one step further. They want to start imposing more taxes on the actual owners of these properties. So here's what they're doing. If you are an Ontarioan, you work here, you live here, you pay taxes here, but let's say you decided to buy an investment property out in BC and you only go out a couple times a year. Yeah, you go out for a month, you know, you go out skiing, go to Whistler, Interior, wherever you are, but you don't use it all the time and you decided that you did not want to rent it out. They are now going to force a tax on you. The tax starts off at 0.5 of the value of the assessed value this year. So let's say it's 800,000, you're gonna have to pay $4,000 extra in taxes. Next year, 2019, 2% of the assessed value. So in other words, if your property's worth $800,000 out there, 
you're going to have to pay additional, not just your provincial, your, your property taxes, you're going to have to pay $16,000 extra on taxes. Now, some of you may be saying, oh, boo-hoo, you know, you own an investment property. Well, the problem that this starts to have happen is now, what does our current government think of this? In other words, in Ontario, you know, they seem to think that, hey, if BC can do it, we can do it. So if you're actually an owner of, let's say, in cottage country, a property, all of a sudden they're going to get nailed with taxes. People are going to want to dump their properties because who wants to pay the extra taxes? And are we going to put a foreign buyer tax here up to 20%? They think the, uh, the overload of BC buyers with this 5% change, everybody's going to run to Ontario and say, okay, we'll only pay 15% in Ontario. But you know if there's any traction on this that our current provincial government is going to jump all over and say, hey, let's put more money in our pocket. The problem is, is that they keep pushing the wrong direction in real estate. And folks, we've got the wrong people in place right now. I said on Jerry Agar's show, the government doesn't understand real estate. They don't. They purely do not have any idea on how they can solve the problem. I've offered for them to come on the show. They seem not to want to return our calls, but I'd be happy to have them, you know, drop in for a conversation so they can tell us what their real plan is over the next 10 years. We need inventory. We shouldn't be taxing our Canadian citizens to death on ownership. And what we have to do is promote private companies to be able to build, provide affordable housing to the rest of the economy. We create jobs and we also create inventory. These two things have to go hand in hand. And unfortunately, the government just says, let's create tax dollars. Well, they're not even putting the tax dollars in the right place. Hey, well, why don't we just do a, you know, a survey on a nuclear plant and then scrub it and blow a billion dollars? You know, that is just the facts. Now, a couple things everybody should know. February's uh, been a pretty strong market just so everyone uh, you know, knows the numbers. They are up. Condominiums uh, did take a big jump, of course. Anything brand new from a builder is being eaten up right away. And the residential properties are starting to heat up. So January, I think everybody absorbed the new rules that came in, the mortgage stress test. But ultimately, in the end, I think that, uh, you know what, we might see a little stabilization in the market. Sky's not falling yet, but we'll know the numbers. You know, hopefully I'll have them for you next week on my show, and we'll get some, uh, some numbers out to find out where the prices are right now. This is our biggest concern. We don't want to see people uh, that bought last year in 2017 in March, April, and May. We don't want to see anybody take a hit there. We want to make sure that the values are kind of stabilized. I know a lot of buyers are sitting there saying, hey, listen, we want it to drop. We want it to drop. There's a lot more... Um, a lot more to it than just dropping the price. You've got to have people that are able to sustain mortgages, not lose equity. And uh, right now, the stress test is starting to control the market. Interest rates are up, but I think that we're going to see a little bit of a discount approach come the real spring market. I think the banks are going to get a little bit more aggressive. They want to have part of the market. So um, you know what? They keep saying that uh, with this problem with our housing, we could lose some of our professionals in the GTA market. Yeah, I think everybody should be aware of that. You know what? Why would you want to live in Toronto where, A, you can't find a place, B, you're paying too much for it, and so people that are looking for employment may start looking in the outer markets or the other provinces. So, uh, you know what? Somebody's got to do something, but I'll try to keep you up to date on what everybody's plans are. Now, coming up after the break, I've got Mike Chesahovsky. He's joining me from CBRE. If you ever thought of being a commercial realtor, stay with me. We'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. Uh, joining me in the studio right now is Mr. Mike Chesahoski, and he is the Executive Vice President at CBRE and has been a frequent guest here at Simply Real Estate. Mike, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. You know, one of the things that um, I think probably a lot of our listeners um, are, you know, maybe a little vague on because, uh, you know, we talk about residential real estate here on the show all the time, but, you know, fortunately I've had you to be able to come on uh, as an expert in the commercial industrial uh, market. But, um, you know, I don't know if everybody understands a, a transaction in your world. I mean, you know, most people trade trade real estate a couple times in their lifetime. You know, they'll buy a house, they'll buy a condo, they'll, they'll even buy an investment property. It's fairly simplistic. You know, you've got, uh, you know, so many residential real estate agents out there. But in the in, in your world, in the CBRE world, is there kind of a, maybe just a little template we can talk about? Because, you know, people are used to, you know, giving, you know, deposits at different levels. They're used to negotiating a certain way. Um, can you can you take us through a basic transaction, a commercial transaction? Let's say, you know, let's throw in a, uh, an apartment building for example, or or an important piece of land that somebody wants to develop to develop on. So, the most recent is Blur and Sherburn. Okay, it was a property that was left over from the development of apartment buildings in St. James Town. Okay, the people have owned it since the fifties. It's a large investor group, developer group that owns it. And a decision was made to go to the market to sell it. Right. So we took them through that type of modified tender process. We had multiple offers. Just to give you an idea, we're, we're over $100 million on this transaction. Wow. Our first deposit was $5 million. Wow. So the people that are bidding were pretty evenly split between our Canadian institutional developers right. that are partners with our pension funds. Right and our traditional developers. The people that if you open the Saturday Star, you're gonna see them selling condo units. Right. All the big Canadian developers. So those institutional type of developers are coming forward and in all likelihood will either partner with a condo developer or they're gonna build purpose-built rentals. They'll build an apartment building and put it into their own fund. Wow. One of, one of the things, and you know, I've, I've, I've you know, been part of that world uh, in the past, but one of the things I always found interesting was the fact that you know how prepared a lot of the corporations are when they come up to purchase. Like they already have their financing lined up; they already know who the major lenders are that they're going to go to. You know, you just made a made a made a comment about a five million dollar deposit. You know, and and for for you know the average, let's say. Uh, a home when we're dealing with transactions, you know, yes, you know, it's probably a hundred times the price of a house and the deposit is a uh, hundred times that of, you know, a, a re residential deposit. But when it comes down to things such as, you know, are there financing clauses in these offers? You know, is there, are they, like, what are the conditions on, obviously, uh, other than development, are there other conditions that these people have to have in these offers? Uh, generally, uh we, we prefer to sell the property's firm. Right. Uh, we expect them to do their due diligence depending on the property prior to submitting the bid. Right. If that information is available to the institution or the developer, if it isn't, we expect them to have a conditional period anywhere from 15 to 45 days, right. in which time they're going to do a multitude of tests, including soil tests, yep. geotechnical tests on the site, and speak to the municipality about the uh, potential for development. But most sites today, we're hoping that they do that work beforehand. 
Yeah. Well, as you know, I buy, uh, I go out and I buy, you know, uh, smaller apartment buildings or small townhouse complexes and, and I go through the same process. You know, normally we have to show up, but we typically don't buy firm because they, in, in the residential world, you know, there's, a, there's, there's, you know, obviously, um, you know, environmentals that we have to do. And we, we find that the lenders, you know, they really want to take a good hard look at it. And again, I'm not, I'm not dealing with the hundreds of millions of dollars when we do this, but ultimately in the end, you know, are there that many buyers out there today or is it is it really just the same group that are buying real estate? You know, this is a game of monopoly. I always, I always look at the GTA as just a really big monopoly board, but not very much comes up on the market. Is there that many buyers out there or is it normally the same group come to the table each time you have an offering like that? The larger the transaction, the less buyers there are. Right. So once you get into over a hundred million dollars sure there's there's fewer and fewer but they do team up so we have institutional partners that go forward and partner with our traditional development group and help put in 80 percent of the equity that's right. required for the deal so that allows them to buy more deals and larger deals that they couldn't afford themselves yeah so let's talk about your realtors for a second um you know uh, of course the you know typically the buying public deal with residential realtors you know having having uh, obviously a commercial real estate agent also doing residential it's kind of wearing both hats your your staff typically only focus i would imagine on commercial real estate or industrial real estate um, does CBRE actually have a training program that can allow people to come in brand new? Because, you know, you know, immediately, you know, I, ha having experience in the industry, you know, there are definitely people that are like yourself. You've been in the business a long time. You want to go and gravitate towards somebody like yourself because you've got the experience. Are there people that can turn around and say, hey, listen, I'm looking for a career. I'd like to do commercial real estate. Does CBRE offer programs that allow people to be able to do this? Yes. We have a large training program. Right. Uh, we take uh, the students straight out of university, right. depending on the program that they've graduated with. Uh, they're tested extensively as to their skill level and what type of personality they have, whether it's geared towards being a commissioned salesperson. Mm -hmm. uh, then they come in, they work for a period of time in our research department, allowing them to go through all the programs, learn about the business, different specialties. At that, at that time, they're put out on salary with a senior salesperson and we call it a runnerships okay yeah and that's usually between six months and 18 months and they're being trained by this uh, by that salesperson right. in that specialty right. and our salespeople only do one form of real estate right so you'll have either office leasing and sales uh, industrial leasing and sales retail and investment and land right so we don't cross over and we have territories also that we have to stick to so when you do have a broker at CB working for you, yeah. that broker specializes in that form of real estate that you require them to. Right. So you you, you did touch on this, and sorry I, I, to, to, to reiterate it, because most people know residential real estate. It's basically all commissions. You don't typically have a salary. But some of your internships, and, and I'll use that term very loosely, but you do offer salaries for part of the part of the, yes. the, the work that's being done. Yes. Uh, when, when these students come into the workforce, they need a salary to get going. Sure. So we don't throw them on commission day one. Right. Uh, that's what happened to me. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. That was a long time yeah, ago. a long time but, ago, sure. But uh, today, uh, you know, they have living expenses. And of course. Especially in the 416 is, is very yeah. difficult. But uh, they do go on salary for a period of time. Uh, then either they stay as a partner with that senior broker or they go out on their own. 
uh, my three partners in my group uh, were all started as, as summer students. Wow. Okay. Uh, and they stayed with me. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the deals are so large. There's only so many that get done per year anyways. You know, when when I was a transactional realtor, I mean, you could do a couple hundred houses in a year. So you always were being fed, you know, all, all the deals. But ultimately, in the end, you know, there can be, you know, you can work on a deal for a year or two before it even closes. And, you know, so you, you've got also a lot bigger sales cycle and a lot less sales to focus on. But then again, of course, depending on what the commissions or what the company's making from it, you know, it's a much larger number too. Yes. Uh, our, our, we do a lot for your deals. Yeah. Just because of the size. Sure. And the complexities of the deals just don't happen quickly. Our typical deal cycle from the time we first initially speak to the person to when we get paid is typically about a year. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, Mike, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And um, again, you know, uh, by the way, uh, if people want to become uh, a commercial realtor, is there is there a website that they can go to to find out more about CBRE? Uh, any positions open on uh, with CBRE is posted on the website, okay. and uh, everything from a property manager, facilities manager, investment broker, a typical salesperson is there and available to them. Uh, CBRE.com. Excellent. Always a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, look forward to chatting with you in the near future. Thank you. Thanks so much. Folks, that was Mr. Mike Chesahofsky, and uh, he is the Executive Vice President of CBRE. Always a pleasure to have Mike Chesahofsky on with me. And listen, coming up after the break, I've got Mr. Harry Stinson joining me. You don't want to miss this uh, this conversation, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, my guest in the studio right now is Mr. Harry Stinson. For some of you, you may not know the name, but you'll definitely know. Are about... you aging me here? No, 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 no. But you know what? Actually, you used to be on on, on late night TV. So, yes, um, Harry, thanks for joining me today. And thanks uh, for having me. I greatly appreciate it. You are a developer, entrepreneur. Um, a lot of people might remember your first development or one of that you, you had a lot of notoriety in was of course the candy factory on queen street uh that was probably yeah that was the, the major first large one uh, i don't do a lot of projects but they're all unique yeah and that was unique because it was the first major loft project on queen west which was pretty much a wasteland i mean empty stores all the warehouses were were derelict and it was you know, people would ask, well, why would anybody want to live in this rundown old building in the middle of nowhere in Queen Street West? And I essentially got that building for free. If you wow. can believe an entire city block of a classic loft building and nobody wanted it. Wow. That's That was barely 20 years ago. Yeah, I was going to ask you, about 20 years ago, can you imagine what... 93. What, yeah, can you imagine what it would be like today, though? I mean... Oh, the know, block would, if it sold as a block, it, right. it would probably be worth the land more than what we sold the entire building for at the time. Probably be 30, 40 million dollars at least. Yeah, at Maybe least more. Sure. Yeah, especially with the prices today. You know, what, one of the things I always admired about uh, some of your work was the vision that you had. You know, you took you took old buildings, repurposed things. You know, you always kind of looked out on the outside. I've, I've done that myself with a couple of old buildings where, you know, we went in, you know, left all the brick, left the beams, you know, characters. People such like a, character. Yeah, character. That's the word. You know, one of the things I admire, like I said, about yourself is that you do see character and and you, you, you utilize it. You don't get rid of it. I mean... You know, so many buildings nowadays are just. Why being... get rid of it? That's what that's what the customer likes, you know. Yeah. And yet, you try and tell that to the bankers, they're terrified. 
Really? Uh, rest, renovation? Rest, oh, oh my, don't, don't touch that. No, it's terrible. Yeah. Uncontrollable. God awful. Yeah. Now, you did. We want more cookie cutter shoebox. Yeah. <laughs> no, I... Well, that's the one they can count on, right? Yeah. They, they, they basically think drywall, you know, stick construction, and you're all set. But, you know, repurposing and, and, and actually having so much character, as you said, there, there is definitely that buyer out there nowadays that, you know, I wish they had more character in the new builds, but they don't. They, just they want... don't, and, and they're also... I just wonder about how long they'll last. And, you know, I, I used to speak in home builder panels for a ton of home builders, and they, they stopped asking me to come because I would challenge the guy from Terion, oh, the wow. home warranty program, because That's they true. never, ever, ever, ever buy a building that wasn't covered by Terion. Right. It must be something, you know, illegal or wrong about it because <laughs> Terion did not until recently cover uh, conversions. Right. And I'd say, well, wait a second. If you think about it, the buildings I'm working on have generally been there for a century or more. Sure. The building I'm working on in Hamilton now has been there for 200 years. Wow. Now, I would put that up, build that building up against any building with its seven-year tear-on warranty in a flash. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. Our, uh, we used to, our, our old head office, um, I, uh, I repurposed a, a building, uh, a house that was Church Man's, 1865. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, it is far, far superior built in comparison to the brand new stuff being built out there. It's just big and solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, I call them bomb shelters, but, you know, because, you know, lots of brick. You know, and, and the idea of three, four coarse bricks nowadays is just unheard of. Everything, no, it's a veneer. Everything's veneer, sure. <laughs> Not decent construction at all. Um, listen, one of the one of the things that you did was One King West. Uh, kind that's of my a, favorite building. I was going to say that's a hybrid, isn't it? it? It was both condo and hotel. Well, that's it's unusual because there is no condo hotel like it. And I'm using right. that model now in Buffalo. I just bought a huge hotel in Buffalo, right. uh, which is the size of a convention center, and we're using the same idea of of basically turning the rooms into condominiums. Right. But One King was not designed that way. It was the first major condo downtown. This was 99 when right. it came on the market. Again, it's not that long ago. Yeah, sure. But it was considered weird that you'd sell little condos downtown in the financial district. Why would anybody want to live down there? There's nothing down there. Yeah. So I had to come up with a means of selling the units. So I right. created this rental program. And the rental program morphed into a extended stay and then morphed into a hotel and the irony was when the building opened in 2005, right. within 18 months, it was the number three hotel in the city. Right. And since that time, One King has never dropped under 90% occupancy. Wow. So it is, it is currently running 96%. And the people who bought those units, the believers at the beginning, who bought those shoebox units, for, sure. you know, they were small, but now are typical, yep. for 100 to 200,000. Know, obviously, they've gone way up. Yep. But they're making now per year between thirty-five to forty thousand dollars net per year. Wow, good for them on the hotel operation. Yeah. That's unbelievable. You know, when when we take a look at you know real estate now in Toronto today, you know anybody that owns a condo, they are not breaking even because oh, no. the prices are so high. No, they're just counting on never-ending inflation. Yeah, and, and I, I just wonder. I mean, maybe I'm showing my age and time on it when I look at properties and say. It can't be worth that much. But you know, that's it's ridiculous. Right. I've I've got a listing right now that we're selling in Toronto and North York area, and it, it's five hundred and forty thousand dollars for this one bedroom. You know, and, and you could fit a show uh, a, a table or a sofa in the living dining room. Wow. And that's it. Yeah. But it's normal price. Sure. And and something I feel like it did in nineteen eighty nine when the condo market was just coming to that point where. People in the industry are sort of scratching their heads saying, well, sure, I hope nothing goes wrong, but it just doesn't feel good. Yeah. And there's that sense now that, you know, some of this doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> you know, I, I would have to agree with you. We have to watch the run-up, and people have to be, you know, know that they're going to have security. If a market shifts, a lot of people are going to get caught out on it. Um, one of the and, – and, and I won't call him a competitor because I don't think Donald Trump's a competitor to anybody. I think he's – you know. <laughs> but, you know, I know Donald. He is one of a kind. Yeah, and so you, you – uh, you know, you, you obviously were one of the kind of the pioneers in the Toronto area for some of this stuff. Of course, the, the Trump building came up and it faltered badly uh, but it was it was an economic model it made no sense at all right and it was it was it was even when the people who complained that you know they've been sucked into this and yeah it's too yep. bad sure when you buy a supposed hotel room for close to a million bucks yeah and the taxes and condo fees are are, are in the tens of thousands of, yeah. it, it, it just it doesn't take a spreadsheet to figure out that there's no way this is going to make any money. Right. And there's no way a lender is going to believe you. Right. And then to go moaning and complaining to the courts and say, you know, I was, I was taken advantage of, well, you know, stop and think for a minute. Everybody got caught up in the hoopla and the excitement. Yeah. And the reality was that it's a typical condo hotel model. One King was different, but right. the typical condo hotel model is a building that has a condo upstairs yes. and a hotel downstairs and, right. and, and it's a division they're not they're in the same building they're roughly the same address but they're not the same thing right so you can be next door to it but you're not entitled to part of the hotel yeah and people didn't get it they thought there was this spillover and it even said in the documents you know don't count on we may rent your suite back but we don't have to yeah, you know, and and that was the thing. I had uh, I had a couple of investors uh, when when this this offering came out. You know, they came to me and said, "Hey, Todd, what do you think of the numbers?" And I looked at it and I said, "You're crazy." And they and they said, "Well, why is that? You know, it's going to go up in value." I said, "No, no, 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 no." I said, "Before before you even think of that, I said, look at you look at your your square footage price. Look at what you're going to do." I said, "The lenders are going to find that this is just way too far out of whack." And yeah. so when 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 it actually came to closing. When the lenders turn around and they did their appraisals, they were coming in two, three hundred thousand dollars less than what they had on the agreement of purchase and sale. Uh, so they should have seen that. They should have anticipated that. Yeah, and 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 you know, even I if was, they got the mortgage, they would have choked. Sure, sure, but but people, there, so people to avoid losing their deposits ponied up the extra money you know some of them did come up with it because there was closings i mean there are people that bad. there are people that own there right yep. now you know they're kicking themselves they're they're like if you've money got the money pocket. it's a classy address to live at but but don't think it's a good investment right on that basis i mean i structured one king so the units were affordable and they made money right and in buffalo we're at a hundred thousand dollars right. flat Yep. And I have a convention center that's larger than the Buffalo Convention Center attached. Wow. So what we did there, and what we did at One King, is we pooled all the revenue. You know, the parking, sure. banquets, everything. bar, yep. everything, absolutely everything, and you couldn't compete. Right. You know, One King, you know, that, that's been a challenge to resolve that part. Right. But now, look at, you know, Airbnb and Kijiji, people are competing within buildings against each other. So you have this black market going on. There's no brand control. Yeah. There's no standards. There's no, you know, no control over rates. It's it's just a, a wild west. Yeah. And that's not how you run a hotel. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, listen, uh, Harry, um, I'm going to go to a quick break. When we come back, though, I want to talk more about uh, some of the other markets that you've been in. 
where you see them going in the near future. So, okay. folks, I'm going to have Mr. Harry Stinson uh, stay right here uh, in the studio with me. When we come back, we're going to talk more about where we, uh, you know, pretty much uh, some of the outer markets. Where are they going to go and uh, are they going to stay strong? So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest uh, in the studio right now is Mr. Harry Stinson. He is a developer. Uh, you know, you'll you'll know some of his famous addresses in Toronto. He did the candy factory on Queen. He uh, did one on uh, he did one King West. Um, those are the know, notable ones. Those are the, are the notable ones. ones. He did some other ones in in, in the High meantime. Park Loft was the first geothermal building in the city. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Wow, excellent, um, and and you know some of the, some of the things that uh, people probably don't know about you is that uh, there was a time where you were the re- leading real estate company for resale condos in Toronto, in downtown, yes, yeah, uh, because really there wasn't anybody else who thought there was a market, right, and so we we sort of looked at it and thought you know this is the way it's going to go downtown up, sure, you know, it, it has to, right, and condos will develop, and I I could not even find a broker who would allow me to set up a condominium division in their company. Oh, we don't want to scare off the real the real people who are buying houses, you know. Wow. So I had to set up my own company sure. and just specialize in condo. And I just, you know, because I was the only one, people migrated to, you know, you seem to know what's going on. Yeah. So I, I actually did that. I went to see every condo. This was in the days when you could see every condo. Yeah. Now you can, <laughs> they open faster and you can still look at them. You know, and I had a small crew of people. And Brad Lamb was, was, was the top guy with me in the office office yep and uh you know we we were dominant because we worked hard and we knew our market very well yeah. you know and that most agents sort of you know they're a little bit of this a little bit of that and you know. yeah yeah well it's interesting because we had we had brad on a few a few weeks ago and he and he gave you a huge kudos for actually starting out with him and and you know he learned so much and you know he's now as as you know you i guess you've done some work he's with done brad. okay yeah he's done he's done okay for sure you know um let's let's talk about some of your other uh ventures you um you know the stinson it was the stinson school is that right the stinson yeah i, I couldn't did? make my life you could not make up i got a call from from uh, actually it was a counselor in the city of hamilton and they had a school called the Stinson School on right. Stinson Street in the Stinson neighborhood, and they were going to sell it. And was I interested in buying it? <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, come on. <laughs> what am I going to say? Sure. And, but the, the counselor said, look, you know, I'm familiar with what you do, but I want you to do a candy factory-like project right. in this building because we want to keep this old building. Yeah. So we did. And it actually, I think, has been the catalyst in the Hamilton market, too, which is, is a market which is, I think, got a lot of potential and is where people should be. It's, it's, you know, the cheapo deals are gone. I got to tell you that. People just went yep. to Hamilton because they could buy a house for $100,000 and yeah. whatever. No longer. That's no longer the case. But it, it's still half and sometimes a third the price of Toronto. And what I think differentiates Hamilton is that it actually was an old city. So yes. it has that core of old buildings, yeah. which you're not going to find in Mississauga and Whitby and nope, so on. You're right. You know, it's sort of there's a Starbucks and a, it's, it's all the same place. Hamilton does have that gritty downtown character. Yep which differentiates it. And, and I think that's why people are actually looking at it more as a serious investment. It has a core. It's, it, you know, it's got its challenges for sure. And it's struggling with figuring out if it's a city or not. Yeah. But it, it is changing. And, and uh, that is where we're working now. I've got two old buildings there. The one we have now, the Beasley Park Lofts, is 18, early 1800s. 
Wow. I mean, it's the oldest building I've ever worked on. Now, is this is this a new release that you're coming up with, or are you in the are you in the midst of it? Uh, I'm just starting. Uh, well, we <laughs> it's ironic. I've never had this situation before. When I bought the building, it was zoned for six stories, and the city just recently rezoned it for 30 stories without my asking. Wow. They rezoned downtown yes. to allow tall buildings downtown. Right. So all of a sudden, we decide, we found out by accident, you know, holy cow, we could actually build something bigger. Right. So we're adding a tower to it. Okay. But what it is combining is the hotel, the event center, the clubs. I mean, I started in the restaurant business, hospitality and food. That's where I'm, I'm migrating to now. Sure. So I'm adding a boutique hotel to it and a huge concert hall and meeting rooms and a distillery. Yep. We opened a distillery called Hammer Distilling. Excellent. So it's, it's the hospitality and food service business combined with the loft apartment. So imagine combining One King and the Candy Factory. Yeah, there you go. And the character. That would be the ultimate. Yeah, and so yep. we have good bands playing. It's really going to be a neat place. I'm yep. looking forward to that part. And what kind, of, uh, what kind of completion time are we looking at? About two years. About two years. And Gibson School will be about one year. Okay. And that's in 1914, old school. Right. So I'm still focusing on the character buildings, but right. migrating more into the hospitality side because I think that's really where the revenue is stable, more stable as well. Right. Because we're running more than just a standard studio rental apartment. And the character of the building means that we actually get more rents. Yeah. You, you mentioned the hospitality. I'm, I'm going to just change subjects. I'm going to come back to Hamilton. Cash flow. It's great cash flow. <laughs> yeah. Um, Speaking of uh, speaking of uh, streets and hospitality, King Street, you think it was smart for them to start turning around and getting traffic off it? Because I mean, you, you know, you've got an uh, investment there. You've you know the area so well. I think they pushed it a little too far outside of the core. Okay. Fundamentally, that it, it's a bit. You know, the odd thing is, I'm in Toronto all the time, and, and you you get a, off the go train and you walk up across King, and it looks like what's wrong? Was there a bomb alert or something? Just the streets are empty. It's more barren. It, it really, it's taken the life off the street. Wow. And, and that is kind of, but you know, how many drop by stores were there at King and Bay? Yeah, good point. So I, yeah. I'm not sure that that's, when you get the other side, say, of even Spadina. Right. Or even University. Sure. I think that's, that's pushing it to have the score. They, there could have been another way, I think, of freeing up the streetcars. I agree that they had to do something about that. Right. But there's, it's not just the, the merchants who are complaining, and, and I don't blame them for it. Right. Uh, but there is a sense of loneliness on the streets. Right, right. And that, that, I think, is not good for the downtown. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, listen, I, I, I wanted your take on it because, again, you, you've, you've, I mean, you've been in the hub there for, for years. You know, you it know doesn't the area. feel as lively. Right. And they've added those new lamps now, the, you know, the LEDs, yeah, yeah. and they're not good lamps. <laughs> no. they, they, you feel like, what's wrong? You know, it's, it's, sure. there was a power blackout, and they're on just the low the levels. Yeah. You know? yeah, wow. Um, so, so back to Hamilton for a second. Um, you know, one of, one of the things is it's been the hottest residential market. And, you know, I'm going to ask you to put on your residential hat just for a second. Um, are there other markets that you feel have potential for people? I mean, you know, listen, you, you, you've had great developments. People have invested in your Hamilton project uh when we take a look at you know how well people have done you know at candy factory you know at, uh, at i'm candy. in buffalo now you're in buffalo so so you know tell tell me kind of your mindset going into buffalo okay just not just your one development but was was 
was Buffalo uh, kind of like an undervalued brick and mortar kind it's, of market, just like I Hamilton was years ago? It's the last of those Rust Belt cities, the right. old industrial towns that hasn't hadn't until recently. Yeah. Started to come alive again the way, right. say Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Well, Windsor, you know, Windsor yeah. had a huge bounce back over the last two years, and and you're seeing that in some of these industrial towns. But where Buffalo really stands out is it right. was at one point about a century ago it had more millionaires than anywhere in the world, and that's that's seen in the architecture. There's right. grand buildings all over downtown Buffalo. Right. It has true character more so than Toronto, right? Even though it's a much smaller town, yep. and it has although it's again smaller. It has the NFL team, the NHL team. It has yeah. all the things there of a city, sure. and it has the grand buildings, but it's slowed down. The average house price in, in Buffalo, you know, is currently it's still under two hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. And there are some neighborhoods that are just spectacular. Well, you know, the, you know, part of part of my 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 question for you is that uh, you know, understanding Buffalo because Detroit wasn't that far off either. Like, like you could buy city blocks yeah. for next to nothing in Detroit. And, and again, it, it has good architecture. Like, they've yes. got some nice old buildings in Detroit. And the, the loans guys is basically bought up downtown, though. There's one, one billionaire who is just, sure. he's going to own downtown, downtown Detroit. Right. And, and he's, what is he's moving his, his head office there and his staff there. And I mean, he's really doing an amazing job. He's not just buying and sitting on property. Yeah, he's actually... Cleaning it, it up, yeah. The and, you know, and... There, there is opportunity around for right. sure. Thing is that Canada is still going to be the Rataz, uh, sort of a safety place. Okay, but so, so, so the adjacent, uh, adjacent of the border. So let's talk about you know Windsor, uh, St. Catharines, Niagara, Catharines and, and, is booming. Yeah, it, it, are these markets that you know or you? No, seen I don't know back? that well, but I see and I they're hear the back. activity because people are just migrating for price. Sure, I would still though go back to cities or areas that have more of an urban core to them right not just it's cheaper sure of course and that's where i think hamilton and buffalo do have that urban core right um we're on a bit of a tear right now with real estate and and yep. uh it's not going to go on forever i was going to ask you is it going to last like your your opinion because you've been you've been in the markets for a long long time i think that for anybody looking for the great crash where they're going to buy cheap real estate is is delusional <laughs> real estate is going to be expensive yeah always. and i think canada will continue to be a, a, a repository of funds because it's like a safety deposit box for the world. It's right. one of the few sane countries left yeah. anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but just to assume that it goes up automatically is, is naive. And, and to not pay attention to cash flow right. is naive. Right. And, and people are buying things on this and say, oh, I'll buy it. It'll go up. I'll make a profit. Oh, I lose a little money in the meantime. Uh-uh. If it doesn't go up and you're losing money, you're going you're gonna to bleed. Do you think the uh, government made a big mistake uh, implementing the 16 fairness approach to us last spring? I mean, they're putting in rent control. They're, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to manage a, a market. Do you think it was good or bad? Governments have never been very good at managing things because they're slow, so cumbersome in figuring out their brilliant policy. And the moment they announce it, within two hours, people have figured out a way around it. Right. And, and I don't think that, that they can, no matter what the government doing, the, the reality is people are putting money into real estate because they have no confidence in the financial markets. Right. No, and I agree. Listen, I, you know, you, no, it's, it's solid. It's yeah, real estate. Yeah, yeah, it's brick and mortar. You, yeah. can, you can look at it. You can touch it. You can hold on to it. This Bitcoin is a classic, absurd example of investment. I just don't understand why people can actually put money into that.
Yeah. Well, listen. You know, one of the one of the things, and of course, you 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 are living proof. Someone's of it. gonna be mad at me now. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> Look, you know what? The tr- the truth is, this is a real estate show, so it makes it easier. I'm for old us enough to, to not care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen, Harry, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Um, you know, I I do appreciate you coming in and and having a chat with us. And definitely, um, is there uh, a website that people can get more information on? Sure, just StinsonProperties.com. Okay, excellent. And come and see. I mean, I, I'm actually in in the shop all the time. Yeah. So if you come to our building and in Hamilton, I'm, I'm there every day pretty much. Yeah, excellent. So, folks, if you want to come meet uh, Harry Stinson, go to Hamilton, but make sure you go to uh, stinsonproperties.com. Excellent. Listen, Harry, been a real pleasure. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks so much. So, I'd like to thank my guest, Mr. Mike Chesahovsky from CBRE, and of course, Mr. Harry Stinson for joining us and sharing a lot of the information from him and some of his developments. Always, I want to thank my producer, Mr. Ian Grant. Always a pleasure to have. Ian, make my show simple. And of course, you for joining me every single week. I appreciate that. Uh, Remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.